Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical world view. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And he is back in Pennsylvania. I am in the wonderful state of South Dakota today. And uh, thank you all so much for joining us and watching us. We really appreciate it. Uh, you might notice behind me, I forgot to announce this on the Monday show, but I have like a new thingy on my wall, which has the logo. And Jake's had one up like on his wall for quite a while there. Um, the well, yeah, since the very beginning. And uh, yeah. I, you know, I haven't been jealous per se, <laughs> but there was an he, element. He's trying to copy me. That's what he's doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're copying each other's sets. But he started it, so I'm copying him. So um, so now I finally have one of my own. Yay! So, And mine isn't as cool because it's not chalk on a chalkboard, but it's still something. So at least the logo's there, which, you know, yeah, yeah. that's cool. But mine says do everything yeah, for the glory got, of God. He's got so. more writing up there than I do. <laughs> I do, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. Mine, mine is more easily changed because... That's if, true. If we change, like, we go to trdshow.com, if we ever get yeah, the rights to that, yeah, I can change that from .net to .com, whereas you need to get a whole new banner. It's true. It's true. I gotta get a whole new whole new thingy up there. Of course, this is what our t-shirts look like, too, with the under the shield. We have our, our website, so, you know, match the t-shirts right now. But then when we change the t-shirts, we'll have to change this, too. Ugh, it's just a mess. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Chalk is better. We all agree. Um, so, that was a fun tangent uh go to trdshow.net that's our show website we got all sorts of cool stuff there also send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com sign up for our newsletter trdshow.net slash newsletter and i think those are all of our cool things we have so many more but um we don't have time to list them all today so go to trdshow.net to find all of the things including our facebook and instagram pages which we now have i'm not happy about it but we have attracted like twice the amount of people that we ever had on Gab and Getter combined. So it's kind of like, um, you can't deny the success of Facebook and Instagram. Which, I mean, that's sad in and it of itself. It is sad. I know. I know. I would expect that a Christian platform like Gab would have more Christian followers yeah. as opposed to Facebook and Instagram. But that's not the case. So Especially hey. when we're trying to create a counterculture. Yes. You know? Exactly. Exactly. A Christian culture. Yeah. That isn't dictated by big tech. Whatevs, you know, I'm not very happy about it, but I don't have to be happy about it. It's just the reality in which we live. So, yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about today. We're talking about Greg Bonson, Dr. Greg Bonson's book, Presuppositional Apologetics, Stated and Defended. And, um, wow, there was a lot. Um, so we only did <laughs> 10 pages uh, from pages 43 to 53 today. Uh, and, um, that was because there was a lot there. And so we wanted to give it its due time and we figured, Hey, we're spending the whole month with this book. And then probably a couple months down the road, we'll spend another month and another month and another month. So we've got a while to go through this book. So let's give it all of the time that it deserves. Um, because there's just so much here. Um, uh, so a lot to talk about, but before we get into that, we have to talk about the verse of the week and Jake, it is Wednesday. So, um, your turn at the plate. Take Alrighty. it away. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, our verse this week, uh, all week, uh, is Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8, which says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Um, well, and my sort of interpretation of this and my how I would go through this is, first of all, we, we come to the very beginning of this where it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And as I was saying on the Monday episode, so walk in him, right? We have that sense of action there. Mm. We are to be walking. We are to be going, yeah. right? Going therefore, walking, right? Um, <clears throat> but going on a little bit further, um, just as you were taught, and I think the the understanding here is that you're reading the Bible and you are in the Word. Yes. Right? And if you are in the Word, you are being taught by the Bible. Right? You're being taught through it. Not saying that... And it, and it will... You will always be being taught through the Bible, even if you have a good pastor or not. Um, but definitely, you should be searching for a good pastor, as we were talking about in our... Uh, episode last week talking yes, about church tr- discernment yep um so but as we're going through the bible we are to understand that we are always being taught through it and <clears throat> keeping these two in mind we we come down to another the last point that i want to talk about and that see to it that no one takes you captive that if we are walking in christ going out and we are being taught throughout the bible and being built up and established in the faith, <clears throat> we will not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Mm. Right? So, that's yes. my whole spiel on yeah. this. That's great. Thanks for breaking that down, Jake. Um, yeah, really good reminders there. Yeah, that we are always to be growing in the word. And that should be where we're, we're firmly rooted in that. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, All right, so with that, let's get into our discussion today about presuppositional apologetics. And if that phrase sounds kind of foreign to you, um, that's okay, because I want to take the first couple minutes of today's episode to explain or re-explain or redefine presuppositional apologetics, especially for people that are new and maybe this is their first episode or their first week or first, uh, I don't know, two weeks with us. We don't want to just assume things and assume that you know all of these things, that there's so much here. We do want to take a step back and just explain it a little bit. So I'll only take a few minutes to do that, but I think it's important. So what is presuppositional apologetics? Greg Bonson restates on page 47, kind of the the whole emphasis behind presuppositional apologetics. And he says, the believer has a genuine and proper knowledge of the Lord. But the unbeliever is lost in foolishness because he misuses and suppresses the clear revelation of God. In the apologetic argument that arises between these two, there will be a direct clash of espoused presuppositions, end quote. Um, So that's from page 47. Also further down on the page, he adds that although the sinner can never escape knowing the truth of God's revelation in his heart of hearts, that's an important thing to remember, Still, he does not openly and self-consciously base his public philosophizing upon scripture, end quote. So he's restating, 
He knows the truth, but suppresses it in unrighteousness. Um, and th these are the, the two main parts. Uh, there's a lot of different facets to presuppositionalism, but these are some of the main ideas, right? The, the first is that the, the believer has a genuine and proper knowledge of the Lord. Um, but the unbeliever is lost in foolishness. They're, they're lost in their foolishness because they misuse and suppress the revelation of the Lord. Um, so there's going to be a direct clash between our presuppositions. When we look at facts, we interpret those facts based on our presuppositions. When we look at the world, we interpret the world based on our presuppositions. What do we come to the uh, uh, table with? What are the ideas that we just inherently have that we come to the table with? Um, and we may not even be consciously aware of them or be able to articulate them uh, sometimes. But we should be seeking to articulate those. We should be looking to understand our presuppositions and make sure that they are scripturally based, that they're based on scripture. So, and then, you know, that next part is that they know the truth. The unbeliever knows the truth. They know about God. They've been given that. They have no excuse, as it says in Romans 1. And you need to make that claim, cl clear and, and obvious to them, that they know the truth. They do know these things. They can know truth but they suppress it. They don't want it. They don't want to know the truth. And so they need to repent of that. Um, so that is presuppositional apologetics in a nutshell. There's a lot more that could be said about it, but in the limited time frame that we have, I thought that that was really good to bring that up. And especially since Bonson restated that really well on page 47. All right. So this next part we want to get into is, is how did Paul give an answer? So using um, obviously the Bible as our, our grid work for discovering how to do these sorts of things and as our template, right? Probably the best thing to do would be to turn to some of the people in the Bible who um, gave an answer for the faith and, and ask the question, how, how did they do it? So, Jake, I know you wanted to touch on this topic uh, a decent amount. So do you want me to pass that over to you right now or do you want me to throw in one or two quotes to set things up or what, what are your thoughts? Uh, throw in your quotes because okay. you'll set me up very nicely for what I want to go into. Sweet. All right. Sounds good. I forget. You can see my notes. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, it's nice having a collaborative shared notes thingy. Um, so, uh, page 43, Greg Bonson said, against those who would oppose presuppositional apologetics by pointing to the activity of Paul when he confronted unbelievers at Lystra and Athens, and you can look at Acts chapter 14 and 17 respectively, we need to observe that Paul's missionary and apologetical endeavor in these places corresponded exactly to what he wrote in Romans 1, about the spiritual condition of the unbeliever. And I'll just continue on to page 44, where he said, one thing should be abundantly clear. Paul, Paul's hearers did not recognize any common interpretive ground between themselves and Paul. I'll just restate that because that can be like kind of wordy. So let me just restate that again. One thing should be abundantly clear. Paul's hearers did not recognize any common interpretive ground between themselves and Paul. At Lystra, the people were scarcely restrained from their idolatrous sin, and Paul was stoned, dragged out of the city, and left for dead, Acts 14, 18. At Athens, the people called Paul a babbling doctrine monger who brought startling and strange things to them, and their foremost response to his uh, 
Pogas address. My goodness, I can't believe I can't pronounce that. His address was mockery. Um, and so that's Acts 17, 18 through 20, and then also Acts 32. So that was interesting to me, was that he didn't, like, look for common ground. He, it was kind of like no holds barred, basically. And the people had such a strong reaction to it that they stoned him and left him outside the city for dead. Um, then in the, in the next city over, they, they, they called him names. They mocked him. They said it was just startling and strange. They were just blown away by the things that he was saying. So clearly he didn't come to them and just was like, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Just just turn to Christ if you can. Um, that's my truth. I really think you should look at the word of God. Clearly there was none of that. <laughs> it was repent. You're wrong. You're in sin. Here's why. Um, page 44, just my final quote before I turn it over to Jake. In Athens, Paul's point of contact is actually the ignorance of his hearers. <laughs> I mean, wow. The point of contact for Paul with these people in Athens was their ignorance. Uh, he stresses not their worship, but their ignorance. Um, and then, uh, so verse 23, Paul said, that which you worship openly demonstrating your ignorance, I proclaim to you, <laughs> end quote. So that to me was just like, wow, his start right off the bat, you are ignorant fools because you're doing this. Here's why. <laughs> like, Boom. Okay. <laughs> Strapped a, a two-ton bomb on them. So, uh, so Jake, what, what, uh, what do you add to that? What did you, what was your takeaway from, from that? First of all, um, a lot of my quotes also come from page 44 and I find it very interesting that this is, this is the one and only time that <clears throat> Bruce and I can talk about the same page and not pick out the same exact quotes. Woo. The majority of the time we're, we're like, we're talking about the same thing because we pick up the exact <laughs> same quotes. But um, <clears throat> but I wanted to also, I just like very briefly touch on what something that Bruce said. And this is something that a lot of people today say is speak your own truth. Right? <laughs> oh, I know. Like Trump's truth social. Post your yeah. truth. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, while, while that makes it so much easier for the presuppositionalists to... Go into what, go into presuppositional yeah. apologetics. Yeah. What do you mean truth? How can there be truth? Yeah. Exactly. But I think it's also, it's very like, first of all, it's scary, right? Second of all, it's, there is one truth. Yes. Right? There is one, only one truth. Yep. How can we now say that there are multiple different truths depending mm. on the person who you are? Yes. Yes. As but, God, I mean, as God says in Isaiah... I have known no other gods. I have seen no yeah. other gods and never will in history. There is mm -hmm. none besides me. Yeah. Yeah. But um, moving on to what I wanna, wanted to talk about, and, and this is like, my heading for this is natural theology or natural revelation. Mm. Which one? Um, <clears throat> and as a interesting. So what is that? What is that? So you said natural revelation. And the natural theology? theology. Okay. What is that? What does that mean? What's the dichotomy there? So natural theology is the idea that nature and the history of the world can prove God. <clears throat> right? And and that would be science. So would that be right? like that evidentialism? Would, exactly. That would kind of be talking about science. But 
Um, however, natural revelation can be shown through the understanding that all people know God, yet suppress that natural revelation through unrighteousness. Mm, that so, natural revelation is the un- is that people know God. Yes. Right? In the heart of hearts, in, they know who God is. And that's interesting because that shifts now the conversation. It shifts the blame, right? The blame mm-hmm. now isn't on the believer to prove God, right? God isn't the one on trial like we talked about two weeks ago. It's yeah. now shifted to the point of, hey, you know you know this. Deep down, you know it. You're suppressing it, but you know it. You're on trial here because you're the one who is in the wrong. So, yeah, it's mm. it completely shifts the conversation. Yeah. And, um, but moving on, then that, that, that's what these, <clears throat> that's what the, the two pages of 44 and 45 were talking about. And I want to bring up a few quotes that sort of show this, right? And, and explain and, and kind of show which one. Do we do natural theology or natural revelation? Mm. And through these quotes, you should see one is right, the other, way, other is not. Mm. Yeah. Um, but on page 44, Greg Bonson says, Paul boldly states that God has clearly witnessed himself in history, but cannot be identified with anything in history or the world since he is Lord over both. Yes. So God, yes, um, <clears throat> clearly witnessed himself in history, right? Yep. He created history. He created the world, right? But he cannot be identified through history in the world, right? You can't say, oh, look at this. Here is God. Yes. Which that's what science aims to do. Yep. Yep. Um, Moving on on to, again, another quote on to page 44, uh, which says, Based on what we have seen Paul write in Romans 1, we would not expect him to appeal to unbelievers on the basis of some theoretic common ground, for they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Mm. having darkened minds and vain reasoning, being fools who worship some aspect of the created world. And this is, like, so true. Like, we go back to (laughs) Romans 1 where Paul states out all the debasement of culture, right? Mm. All the 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 ba- well, debasement, debased thinking, <laughs> yeah, the uh, debased thinking of of that world, yeah. and of that that day and age, and why would we then go back to that common ground? Mm. Yeah, why, why would we, we use go- that as our foundation? Exactly, um, and that was just like so like telling right there. Yeah, um, but yeah. he he goes on even further. Saying, under these conditions, natural theology or an apologetic that strives after natural neutral agreements with the unbeliever's interpretation of facts um, in, in order to ground a defense of the faith is going to be impossible. Mm. Right? So, so it's saying there, um, Greg Bonson is saying there, <clears throat> with what we understand of Romans 1 and how unbelievers think and how how everybody thinks right without a renewed mind how can we then go back to that and <clears throat> create a neutral ground with the unbeliever's interpretation mm, even yes. though we already know it's flawed why yep. do we then go back to secular ideology <laughs> yes yeah um and lastly we come to page 45 where 
Greg Bonson says, As creatures of God, his, and when he says his, he means Paul, um, Paul's pagan heroes <clears throat> cannot eradicate the sense of deity within them despite their sinful rebellion. Hmm. Even in their ignorance and suppression of the truth, they, they are not without a certain awareness of God and their creaturehood. Yep. Yep. So. They have no excuse. Awesome. Dude, that was really good uh, dialogue on that. And all from one page, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah, very neat. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just, I'm going to leave that there. I could comment on it, but I, I think that speaks for itself. <laughs> that was really good. Um, so, you know, we, we talk all the time about using the word of God as our, as our foundation, our ultimate source of truth. Um, and Greg Bonson does this really cool thing on pages, uh, 49 through 53, where he delves then into the word of God and takes two chapters and, and expounds on them and really pulls out epistemological philosophical ideas that are just incredible from these passages. So um, on page 49, Dr. Bonson said, perhaps no passage of scripture more plainly sets out the antithesis between Christian thinking and unbelieving philosophy, in addition to the implications of that antithesis, than does 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. So I just wanted to read that, actually, just just a small portion of what's included in these passages. Um, so I'll just read uh, a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, uh, which says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So again, that was first Corinthians chapter one verses 18 through 25. There is just so much there. And I really, really wish we had more time to just delve into that more deeply, but Bonson touched on so many cool things. And I just wanted to highlight some of those. So on page 50, Dr. Bonson said, God makes worldly wisdom foolish, Isaiah 45, 25, and then also Romans 1, 22, uh, says Paul in his last rhetorical question. God makes worldly wisdom foolish, says Paul in his last rhetorical question. A consideration of the history of philosophy or the lives of Christianity's culture despisers will bear out Paul's conclusion. So God makes worldly wisdom foolish. And we're going to touch a little bit later on one aspect that I really, really want to highlight that I just think is, is so important here, kind of in the middle of this passage, where um, where it's saying, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What we preach, what we believe, what we hold to seems like folly to those who have no understanding to those who are not regenerate in Christ, to those who are not changed creatures and born again 
what we preach seems like foolishness, um, like uh, a donkey spoke or, or a man came back to life after being dead for three days. All of that seems insane unless you have the wisdom of God and unless you're born again. So on page 50, 50 through 51, Dr. Bonson said, the apologist should follow the example of the apostle Paul who did not come to Corinth from Athens with elaborate language or philosophical subtlety, uh, verse, uh, chapter two, verse one of, of Corinthians, uh, no, wait. Yeah. First Corinthians. Um, he did not use Athenian intellectual wares, but his proclamation was founded on the testimony of God. Human philosophy was unnecessary for Paul needed nothing more than the gospel of Christ. That was first Corinthians two verse two for his presentation and defense. He, he needed nothing more than the gospel of Christ. It was the power of God rather than the persuasiveness of human philosophy that made Paul's ministry effective, end quote. So he's starting to hit at something here. He's starting to drive and build up to a point that I think is really, really un- important for us to understand, which is that all of our logic, all of our reasoning, all of our science, any evidences we can give will not save a soul. We as human beings are not capable of saving other people, let alone ourselves, right? We can't even save ourselves. How are we going to save other people, right? It is Christ alone. Solo Christos, I think is the, is that the, one of the five solos that we talked about on Friday? That's, that's it. It's faith alone in Christ alone. That is the only way that someone can be saved and by extension, have their eyes opened to wisdom and be pulled out of foolishness, folly, right? Um, And and become, uh, in biblical perspectives, no longer a fool. That's the only way. On page 51, Dr. Bonson said, it is of utmost importance that the apologist not have his hearer's faith be by the wisdom of men, but rather by the power of God. And that's uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Faith is a gift from God, Ephesians 2, 8, and as such cannot be produced by the intellectual contrivance of the apologist. Human wisdom or secular presuppositions cannot be the ground of faith, but it must be generated in the power of God, end quote. So the important takeaway here is that, like I said earlier, we can't use logic to save that person's soul. We can use them to... um, uh, uh, shut the mouth, as Van Til would say, of the fool, so that they they have no answer. But that should then drive them to Christ. The alternative, we should show to them that there is no alternative besides Christ, but they still have to be saved by Christ in order to no longer be a fool. So I'll just finish up with one last quote um, from page... Uh, Shoot, I don't have the page. I think it's page 51 or 52, somewhere around there. I forgot to put it in. But anyways, uh, it says the pseudo-wisdom of the world, uh, of the worldly philosophy, would either, as does the unbeliever, find fault with, or, as does the non-presuppositional apologetist, um, attempt intellectually to strengthen the scriptural message that came from the mind of the Lord. But Paul rhetorically asks... Who is in a position to do such a thing? Chapter 2, verse 16. The answer comes in thundering silence. No one. We can't augment scripture. We can't improve on the message of scripture. We can't improve on the gospel, the salvation of Christ. We can't improve on that. It's not our job to do that in giving a defense of the faith. We need to show them that what they believe is folly and leave the rest to God. We need to show them that they either believe in complete foolishness um 
show them that they believe in that or they turn to Christ and they have real truth. They have real uh, uh, abject facts, something solid in the salvation of Christ. All right. So that's um, that's basically it that I have in, in my notes. Was there anything else that you wanted to comment on or bring up? We have about two minutes left um, before we wrap up. I just, I find it so like, just combining these two and first of all, understanding that we, we can't, we can't go back to science and the, a secular understanding, right? In order to prove God. Yes. And, and also that <clears throat> people say that, oh, what did, what did Paul do then? And we, we see here exactly what Paul did. He went back to Christ, the gospel of Christ, yes. yep. right? In order to prove God, mm. right? Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of just like people think that this is a circular reasoning, <laughs> but yes, I mean, and I don't, I don't quite like this argument in saying this, but it, it is true. It's like, well, the atheist uses sec with uses circular reasoning. When 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 they say, do we do we get rid of the eye in order to study the eye? Mm, right. Yes. We're using circular reasoning right there. Yeah. We're using the Bible. We're using God to prove God. Yes. Yes. Great. Great point. Yeah. And I think Bonson makes that analogy in some of his presentations as well. Um, yeah. Do we get rid of our human eye to observe the eye? Like, really? What sense does that make? Um, yeah. Yeah, great point. And the important thing to note is that they know the truth. They know that God is real. They know this, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. And so what we're demonstrating to them and what we're trying to say is stop suppressing what you know is true. The, 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 the guilt is on you. You are the one who is on trial here, not God. And so, yeah, when they try and become the arbiters of truth and they try to be the ones who are in charge and they are the ones with all the evidence, which isn't real evidence because it's just coming from their own mind, right? It's just what they think is true. You have to show them that they th it's just what you think yeah. is true. You can't account for that. You have no way of actually proving that. Um, and there's so many apologists out there who use presuppositional apologetics and can get these people to a point at which they ultimately have to admit, yeah, I cannot know truth. I cannot know that there's anything that's actually real or true. Um, and if they're being honest and consistent with their worldview, they'll admit that. So, yeah. All right. Well, Jake, thanks so much for delving into that, bringing up Paul's apologetic, super insightful. Um, and hopefully you as the audience um, got something out of this and this was helpful to you. If it was, we'd love to hear from you with any questions, comments, whatever you'd like to bring up. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com or go to our website, trdshow.net. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and send us a message through our website, Portal. Uh, is Portal is a dated term. I'll just say send us a message through our website. It's not even a portal at all, so I don't know why I threw that in there. It just sounded like it would fit. It's fancy. Um, follow us on Gab, Getter, G-E-T-T-R, Facebook, Instagram, all the places that we are at. And um, we are looking forward to seeing you on our Friday episode where we talk about what does it mean to go there for? What does that actually mean? It's on our t-shirt. What does that mean? And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord. <laughs>